Let's read our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. And we'll start from verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were turning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, great to be able to gather. While I'm setting myself up, can I remind you, if you're parking in the car park uh, to the rear of the building or on the Waco's Parkway side, can you please be careful as you move uh, down through the laneway? And remember that there is about a four foot wide, four and a half foot wide gutter that's about a foot and a half deep uh, that's currently filled with water and looks like the road and um, is not the road. And... Um, you would be probably the 12th or 13th car that's fallen in that gutter uh, since I've been on staff here and I don't particularly want to drag another car uh, out of the gutter this morning. So if you can be careful, what's helpful now is that there's some orange markers along there and if you can imagine how they would continue all the way along, which would have been helpful if they, they, uh, the council had done that, um, you'll be fine and that'll be terrific. Otherwise, you can reverse the order and create chaos and go the other way and, uh, and exit that way. Uh, that was purely just way of introduction. There's nothing connected at all with that, uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that you are the God who is the supply of all that we need. Uh, Lord, we've been praying for rain. And uh, Lord, it is falling and we give you thanks for that. We thank you for the reprieve it is for many who have been fighting fires and who have been living uh, in the grip of drought. And whilst we recognise, Lord, that this may not uh, make big impacts on those suffering the drought. We do thank you for this rain. And we ask, Lord, that you would protect people at this time, especially now with the threats of flood. Uh, Lord, would you be the God who sustains and provides, this God of all comfort. And as we come now to your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would provide us with what we need. Uh, Lord, we hunger for truth 
And so, Lord, we come to, to dine, to be fed. And I pray, Lord, that as we seek to do that now, Lord, that I'd speak your word faithfully, that we would hear you and understand. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, uh, we ask that you might make it real to us and transform our lives by your word and by your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week on Tuesday evening, some of you were with uh, me uh, as part of those that need to be uh, equipped in the Child Safe, uh, Creating Safe Spaces program for our children's ministry and for those who are ministering to vulnerable people. Uh, this is really important training. Um, some of you will still have to do that training. And one of the things that was mentioned uh, on Tuesday night was uh, the change in mandatory reporting that exists uh, for those who are involved in ministry and in different areas of education of those who are young and those who are vulnerable. And uh, helpfully, there's a number of resources uh, that have come online and that are available for us now, and we're really thankful for that. And over coming weeks, you're going to hear more and more of the ways we uh, in the church are, are enacting that and making sure that we have all of the things that are required, especially um, post the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse has been tabled, and uh, we want to adopt all of those recommendations, which is terrific. One of the things that was mentioned on Tuesday night and in the training that had happened prior to that online was a new a new tool that's called the MRG. It's the Mandatory Reporting Guide. And uh, that's a very helpful resource for those people who have the responsibility for mandatory reporting to know whether or not something that's been shared with them is uh, of the nature that needs to be scaled up and reported or just to be uh, kept on record, uh, what action needs to be taken. Um, as that was being discussed on Tuesday night, it made me think about uh, a number of uh, things in the past that were not, con- uh, were not uh, reported that ought to have been in different church contexts. And uh, of one issue in particular was on my mind, a historical incident that may well have needed reporting, and I wonder if it was. Um, in fact, it's the incident we just read about in, in Luke chapter 2. You have a child, 12 years of age, uh, who is, you would have to say, uh, undergoing some level of neglect. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to actually make light of this, but, but to think, and that's like, honestly, I don't. But just to think about this, and I actually took out the MRG and, and ran this scenario through the MRG. And um, Mary and Joseph are in trouble. Um, <laughs> and probably some of the other people in their company that uh, they, they offered such poor supervision um, for the child Jesus. But, but with all of that, that doesn't seem to be the point. As you read through this text, you, you read through and you're, you're not perhaps meant to think this is a, a, a topic about poor parenting. But something else is going on in this passage entirely. In fact, our, our, our attention is directed uh, all seemingly away from those concerns. In fact, what's surprising, I think most surprising perhaps about this story is that this is the only story that you get of Jesus between his birth stories, so up to eight days of age, and then beyond that, it jumps to uh, his life and ministry at somewhere near the age of 30 years of age. And here, right in the middle, about age 12, you see the boy Jesus, and you have one incident recorded in Luke's Gospel, that's it. And it's kind of a surprising story, isn't it? I mean, of all the things you'd like to know about Jesus through the rest of his life, from the time that he was a toddler, wouldn't you have liked to have seen Jesus at the age that Harper is and, and have those stories told, the things that he got up to, and, and then when he was seven, and then when he was yeah, when he was 12? And if he was 12, what are the kind of stories that you'd imagine that you would be told? Um, 
Well, this, this story, as interesting and insightful as it is, it just doesn't seem to kind of raise the imagination as, as you might would have wanted it to. You think of the things that 12-year-old boys get up to, and this one just doesn't seem to kind of really grab our attention. So why is it here? What are we meant to learn from this story where Jesus is left behind, or stays behind, sorry, in Jerusalem? Oh, I want us to run through this text and see what it has to teach us. If you've got your Bibles in front of us, uh, you'll find it in Luke chapter 2, and we're starting from verse 41. And in that passage, you discover uh, immediately Luke wants you to know, just like in the birth narratives, that his parents are doing everything that is required by the law. And so every year, his parents travel up to the festival of the Passover, uh, there were other festivals they may well have travelled up to, but and it wasn't necessary that every family went every year. But Jesus' family did. Every year at the time of Passover that they would go from where they were living to Jerusalem. And they would celebrate this incredible festival. A festival that was millennia old. Uh, that festival of the Passover, perhaps you remember this, related to the time when they were slaves in Egypt and were brought out under the mighty hand of God. And they were instructed to remember that occasion by celebrating this feast. It was a feast that at the heart of it reminded them that a lamb was slaughtered on the night that they left Egypt. And the blood of that lamb was painted over the doorposts. And when God moved across Egypt in his judgment, they were spared. They were passed over judgment and they were set free from slavery and brought out ultimately to head into God's promised land and his promised future for them. It was a wonderful reminder of the mighty hand of God. And every year, every family, wherever they were, was to remember the Passover. But here was a family that was going to Jerusalem and to the temple to remember the Passover. And the Passover in Jerusalem, huge event, the biggest event of the annual calendar, as there in that place where God symbolically dwells, lambs were brought and slaughtered. And other sacrifices made to deal with the problem that humanity's got between a holy God and a sinful people. And the reminder that it is the blood of this lamb that's killed year after year that could deal and appease God's wrath. Well, it's on this occasion, again, that Jesus is brought up by his parents to the festival of the Passovers. We're told in verse uh, 42 that he's 12 years of age when he comes up, according to the custom. And what that tells us is that it's prior to the time where Jesus will gain a level of independence, or at least be seen very differently from a Jewish perspective. That 12th year is significant transition year for the 12-year-old Jewish boy. Um, Beyond this, he will enter into the full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. Um, So up until this time, it's been understood that uh, he would be instructed by his parents, particularly his father, in the ways of God, in the commandments of the law. But once he moves through the bar mitzvah, he's actually now under the law. He becomes obedient to the law. Literally, bar mitzvah means uh, one who becomes a son of the commandment. And that's about to take place for Jesus. He's 12, he's not yet 13. And it's on that transition where he would make that change. And it's on this year... Prior to that event, where Jesus chooses to stay behind in the temple. And I think when he does that, he's doing so to show that something important is happening for him. Or at least that he is something beyond the ordinary. 
Oh, every other Jewish child will move through this practice. Every other Jewish boy will, will be bar mitzvahed. But Jesus' understanding and his appreciation for the law and the commandments, well, even prior to all of that, look at what he does. He stays behind and he sits at the temple. And he spends days there in conversation and discussions with all the learned people gathering there. See, this is the time where he comes and when those who are schooled in the law get to hear a little boy, 12 years of age, and his insights and his understandings, when you run your eye down to verse 47, they listen in and we're told that they are amazed at his understanding. And it would have taken something to amaze the scribe, the teacher of the law, the scholar. But here is this child. And they must have sat there saying, look at this, it's a prodigy, isn't it? Here's one of those genius kids who just takes it all in. And, and maybe it was this weird curiosity. And other people gathered around as, as this child asked questions and listened in and then spoke out insights and understandings. So much so that those who gathered there were amazed at him. But we see more than that this kid is smart and inquisitive. There's something going on here that's bigger. There's something about his relationship with God that keeps getting hinted at. That his relationship with God is unique. And he's unique. But more of that in a moment. You move on to verse 43 and 44. And we hear what has taken place. After the festival and all of the excitement, the, the, the group that has travelled with Jesus' family now head back home and off they go together. Remember, they've done this year after year. And here is Jesus, the 12-year-old. And they've set off home, verse 43. And while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. But when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, I think every parent all of a sudden can feel that, can't they? What's just happened? I, I mean, you know, I, I, I talked before about the mandatory reporting, but you can kind of understand how this kind of thing could happen. I mean, year after year, we've done this, we've gone, we've come and back. And, and of course, we all travel and everyone's looking after everyone's kid and they're all moving around. We all move together. And surely he's back there talking with Joseph because often the, the women and the men would travel separately. And so he's probably with dad or he's probably with mom. Or, and then all of a sudden they get together to perhaps towards the end of that first day. And have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him. Have you? No. And they asked around the relatives. No. And it reminds you of things like home alone and all those ideas that you have about <laughs> the leaving the child behind. I mean, the worst I've ever done, I left, I left Sam in a car seat at uh, Narrabeen Woolies and went in and was shopping, getting some milk, and I was like, hang on, I had to get something else. And then, uh, then I remember the kid's in the car. <laughs> I was all of about a minute. All right. But this is days. I, I think I saw Eve here before. Your brother's got one of these stories. I'm not sure if it was Tom or Paul. One of them was left at a petrol station on a holiday, and you guys drove off for a few hours and left them behind. <laughs> I think it's been, it was told to me that it was intentional, but I, but it was, but I don't think that's true either. But a few hours, that's one thing. But, but to travel on for a day, imagine traveling on for a day. You left here and you traveled for a day. How far are you getting in your car? You're at Noosa or something like that. And then you wait and you think, one of the kids left behind. But you're walking. It's going to be even harder. Now you're going to put the physical exertion to get back to where you last saw this kid. 24 hours a day. And he's been left behind. When you go down to the very end of this, when Mary actually speaks to Jesus about that, he, she, she talks about the experience of this. 
and asks about why you've done this to us. But she says that we were anxious in our search for you. Literally the word is we were in pain. Of course she was. Of course Joseph was. Pained at that. Every minute that goes by, every thought that would rush through your head about what might have happened to this kid. What foul play. But they head back and they travel back to to see if they can find him. And it will take some time. And now as you come to that, I, I think it's worth just pausing for a moment because it seems like there's almost two inconsistent things that are going on at this point. One, one is it seems almost that Jesus has an, an apparent disregard for his parents' feelings or their time, where he should be. This seems like an irresponsible behaviour, doesn't it? But the second to that is that you also recognise in this that his parents obviously have placed into this young man, uh, or this young boy, a, a significant amount of trust. Because you can't imagine that if Jesus was one of those kids that you're always having to check in on. You know, you know he's always kind of like just wandering off or whatever. But, th- but that doesn't seem to be the case. His parents would never have gone a whole day without knowing where he was unless they trusted him. But they expected him to be with them and to be with the company, but he wasn't. Somehow. He's decided to stay behind. And and in all of this, it suggests that Jesus' motives in staying behind aren't careless. And they're not disrespectful. It seems like there's something else going on here. Something bigger that's being pointed at. Something that's captivated this 12-year-old's mind. Have a look at verse 43. Oh no, sorry, hang on, that's not right. So yeah, so 43 to 46, you get this picture of the three days that take place. Now, of course, it's, it's not clear in the text whether or not he, he's been missing for three days or it takes them three days to find him, but it, it's hard to know from the text. Most likely, it's a totality of three days since they've left Jerusalem until they find him. And then in verse 46, he's discovered... After three days, they find him in the temple courts and he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions and everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I just want to make a mention of something of an aside in this. It's an impressive model of learning here, isn't it? Here's Jesus as a boy and what's he doing in the temple? Well, he's there among the teachers of the law and he's listening to them. There's insights that they have that he wants to uh, understand and he wants to clarify that. He's asking questions of them. It's a, it's a great way to learn, isn't it? To listen to those who are informed and then to ask the clarifying questions. But notice also, he is then one who teaches others those truths. Everyone who heard him and the insights that he has gleaned from what he has learned and what he has asked about, he now passes on and teaches to others. And just as an aside, is that true of you and true of me? Am I still listening, thinking that there's more for me to understand? Here's, here's Jesus, the one who we've got to grapple in our minds, and we'll do this in a moment, has, uh, has all knowledge at his fingertips, you would think, listening, asking questions, and teaching others. And is that your pattern still, or do you know it all? Have you stopped asking questions? Have you just kind of resigned that there's things that I just will never know? And are you instructing others? And I want to encourage us all actually to adopt a model that's like that. 
And if you're wondering how you might actually apply that last part about teaching others, can I just point out a significant need that we have in our church at the moment in our children's ministry? Um, This year, for good reasons, about seven people have had to step away from teaching uh, our kids. Um, And so perhaps in your listening and your asking and your understandings, you might be at a point where you might be able to tell others what you have heard about Jesus, and that might be the kids in our church. And we would love you to minister in that way. If you want to do that, you can talk to Kieran or myself. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But but the, the other thing to pick up in all of this is to think about what this scene tells us about how God in human form, in Jesus... Uh, operates. See, see, doesn't this kind of confuse you as you come to this passage? If Jesus is fully God, how can he increase in wisdom, which is what verse 52 in this passage tells us that he does, and what it seems that he's doing at the age of 12 in the temple? He's asking questions. He's listening. But if Jesus is fully God, I mean, doesn't he come out of the womb fully educated, omniscient, knowing everything? Imagine if he did, right? Just imagine how weird that would be. You gave birth to a child and Mary looks at the child and the child goes, oh, hello, welcome. Lovely to meet you. No idea why he's got a British accent. It sounds slightly intelligent. But think about for a moment how unhuman that would be. See, it actually helps us in understanding all this to, to actually listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2 when he says that though Jesus was in form God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And you look at this scene in the temple that day and the 12-year-old boy, Jesus, and you see that one of the things that Christ emptied himself of was his omniscience. He's knowing of everything. He's acquiring knowledge as he grows and as he matures. We see this in the summary passage that comes at the end of this in verse 51 and 52. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. See, Jesus would say this of himself in Matthew 24 and verse 36. People are asking him about the future and about what he knows. And he says, of the time of his return... Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father knows. And it's the same thing here in this passage. Jesus is not playing games with the scribe like he knows the answers. He's genuinely inquiring. He wants to be there. He stays, he delays his return with his family in order to stay in Jerusalem because he wants to gain insight and increase in wisdom. But it's not easy. I think for us to imagine how Christ can be God and not be omniscient. But here we see Jesus in human form. We see God in human form and somehow he limits his divine powers so that he's no less God. But the powers of knowing all and having the infinite strength of God are somehow restrained. And so the child standing before them there in the temple is not so different from them and not so different from us that he can serve as an example. He's a picture of, of, of true humanity. He is like us in every way and yet he is so unlike us. And that's actually the big point. It's not a passage about bad parenting. It's, it's a passage about the uniqueness of Jesus and the similarity of Jesus that he has to us. See, see, come to verses 48 and verse 50, and I think this is the heart of the story. When his parents saw him, they were astonished 
Remember, the others are amazed at his teaching and his insights. They are astonished. But think of what they already know from the birth narratives, from all that's come. They know a lot about who Jesus is, his identity. They know that he's sent from the Father. They know all of this. But they are astonished at this behavior. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, in pain, searching for you. And Jesus responds to them and says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. That last statement that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying is is Luke's way of saying to us, look at this. See this? This is the bit. There's more to meet the eye. Don't miss this point. Because Joseph and Mary are searching and searching and and they finally find him. He turns up at the temple. What's he doing at the temple? We, We looked everywhere else. And Jesus is thinking, why did you look anywhere else? Why didn't you look here first? Where did you search? What, did you go to the markets and think I was there? Did you go to the accommodation we stayed in last night and check that out? Or, 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 the, or the vendors that we bought lunch from? Or Why did you look elsewhere? You shouldn't have had to seek for me at all. You know, don't you, that I would have to be in my father's house. See, the main point of this whole passage lies in the contrast when Mary says, your father and I are looking for you. And Jesus says, no, I had to be at my father's house. It's a distinction between your father, my father. You should have known, says Jesus, that I would have been at the house of my father. In other words, Jesus has chosen this part of his life, this crucial stage, as he's about to come under the law to tell his parents in an unforgettable, unmissable way, that he knows who his real father is. And it seems to me that the main point of this whole passage is that Jesus is now recognising his unique sonship to God. This is who my father is. This is his house, his temple. This is where I ought to be. And he also knows that this mission is going to require of him a devotion to his father and his father's purposes. So great that it'll actually take precedent over his own relationship with his own earthly family. He must follow his calling, even if it brings pain and misunderstanding. And so what we see in this little passage, in a sense, is a foreshadowing. It's a way that Luke sets the stage for what's about to come in Jesus' adult ministry. Because the scene in the next chapter is about to jump 18 years. But see, at this point, at the age of 12, he knows who he is. And he knows that being in Jerusalem is about being about his father's business. And it's exactly the right place for him to be. And the three days in Jerusalem, he's not lost. He couldn't be more at home. And later, years, years later, when he makes another three-day absence in Jerusalem, lost on a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He won't be lost then either. He will be about his father's business. And he'll be demonstrating on that occasion that he is fully God, identifying with those human beings who need someone who is fully man to be lost for them, to give himself over to death. Because he recognises that he has come to rescue once for all. It's what the law, the prophets, it's what 
being under and obedient to the law will mean for him. And so this year, the year of Passover, the age of, at the time of Passover, the age of 12, he comes to Jerusalem. And he comes there to learn and to grow. But more than that, he comes to identify who his father is. And in two decades, decades time, he will return to Jerusalem. And on that Passover, he will identify as the Passover lamb. It's a powerful thought, that isn't it? You think about the questions and answers that flew backwards and forwards over those three days and those that marvel at this little kid. And I just think one of the natural things that I'd be asking a kid with that kind of insight, like, mate, what do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, look what you can do at 12. Look how much you know. What do you want to do when you grow up? What, do you want to be a rabbi? You've got it in the bag. You'll pass all the exams for sure. What about a teacher of the law? High priest. You should aim high, kid. And if they did ask that question, I imagine, would Jesus have pointed over to a lamb that was in a pen off to the side of the Temple Mount and say, see the lamb? When I grow up, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be obedient to my father. I'm here at my father's request to take on the nature of humanity, to humble myself and become obedient, even obedient to death like that lamb. But unlike the Passover that you've repeated for centuries, I'll be the final Passover lamb that the law and the prophets have pointed to. I'll come and I will die once for all. That's what I want to be when I grow up. That's what I will be when I grow up. When I I come and I'm lost in Jerusalem for three days. And I'm out of sight. I'm in a tomb. There I will deal with humanity's greatest problem. And there you'll look and you'll identify me. And you'll see that I am fully God, uniquely God. The one with the power to die for sin and be raised again. But recognize as well that you'll see me there on the cross. And you'll identify yourself. I'll be fully human. And I'll deal with humanity's problem. Because this is who I am. I know who my father is. And Mary and Joseph might have found Jesus in the temple at the age of 12, but they didn't understand. And thankfully, Luke records for us this episode that we might understand. And so the question for us, have have you found Jesus? Do you understand him to be uniquely the son of God, unlike anyone else who has ever existed and uniquely human? The one who became God's Passover lamb for you, that you might be set free and receive everlasting life. Have you found the one who is so like you, uniquely and perfectly human, and so unlike you, uniquely the son of God? Because you don't need to wander around wondering where he might be. He is the one who has revealed himself to be not only now all-knowing, but all-present. Anywhere and everywhere. That all we have to do is but ask and recognise who he is. And he comes.
he's found. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, are you lost to us? Have we forgotten? Have we been searching for answers and for truths and for things that would satisfy and give clarity? Have we, have we lost where you are and who you are? Lord, that we might find you again. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who reveals yourself constantly. And Lord, that you know us and our great need. And so, Heavenly Father, as we think about who you are, would you make it very real to us that we would be understanding, that we would recognise, even in this picture of you as the 12-year-old boy, we see already a glimpse of who it is that has come into the world and what it is that you have come to do. And, Lord, you've done it. You return to Jerusalem. And there you dealt with sin and death once for all. And we give you thanks and praise. Our Heavenly Father, where we might be found in you, Lord, would you work in our hearts, convicting us, giving us the confidence and the conviction to hold fast to you and to not lose grip on you, not to wander from you. And Lord, where we know this truth, may we take that model of having heard it and having questioned it, that we might speak it out to others to their amazement, that they too might be amazed by you and come to know you, the Passover Lamb of God. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.